0: Good morning, everybody. Uh, you may be seated. So good to be in worship with you all this morning. My name is Jenny Seibel. I'm one of the pastors here at Emmanuel. I'm really happy to see all of your faces. Um, it's good to be here together. If you're a member here, um, a letter went out to you on Friday in your inbox from our leadership team that I want to um, read to you today just as a means of catching everyone up to speed. If you're not a member, I would love for you to be, uh, to hear this family, be a part of this family business with us. If you're new here, this is a lot to hear um, on your first day, and yet um, it's, it's all going to be okay. So I'm going to read this letter to you uh, before we jump into our sermon and answer a few questions you may have. Dear Manuel family, we're writing to share an important update with you. Due to a medical emergency within Matthew's family, Matthew Brown, our lead pastor, our parish pastor, will be taking, effective immediately, a brief season away to be with his family. We're so thankful that Emmanuel holds the value of offering rest and leave to our leaders when it is needed. And this is a much-needed time of rest for Matthew and his family. We as a leadership team are so grateful for the way Matthew has shepherded our church through the global pandemic and church transition, but now we, with the support of our vestry and the encouragement of our bishop, want to offer a season away for Matthew to focus on the needs of his family. One of the ways God has already taken care of our church is through our vestry board, who immediately stepped in to help us determine how to care for both Matthew's family and for Emmanuel. Matthew shared the following with our vestry and staff this week. I'm so blessed to be surrounded by such good friends and supportive partners who value the health and well-being of my family more than they value my work. I'm eager to be on the other side of this season and back at work but I'm also confident that God will do deep and beautiful work in my family and my heart through this that will in turn be a blessing to the people of Emmanuel. I know that sudden changes like this can feel confusing and maybe even scary. Jesus speaks directly to these feelings when he told his disciples, Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Believe in God, believe also in me. Whatever this season holds for Emmanuel or for my family, Jesus invites us to bring what we're feeling to him, to trust that somehow in the midst of all this, he is in control, and because of this, we're ultimately safe. Thank you for praying for my family and loving us as we walk through the valley. During this time away, we ask that you pray for Matthew and his family, that this will be a time to rest and recover together. We as a leadership team feel incredibly supported, not only by our vestry, but also by you as our church. We're stepping into this season with confidence that the Lord would continue to lead and guide us as he has always faithfully done. So that is our letter that was sent out. Uh, You probably have uh, three questions at least at first, and um, I want to address those. Those questions are likely, is everyone okay? Uh, When will he be back? And how can I help? Which are three incredibly important questions that I want to answer for you today. First, everyone is okay. Matthew and his family have great medical support, and so I know a lot of us, our urges to to like, say, yeah, like, I wanna help in that way, like, I know a nurse, or I am a, I'm a doctor, or whatever the thing is, and just to tell you like, he's incredibly supported and they have everything that they need. Uh, but to address the second question, how long will this be for? Uh, We don't know yet. We're going to not put a timeline on it for the sake of his family. There can be some added pressure when, you know, there's like an end date to something like this, and in a season like this, we want to give him as much space and breathing room as he needs in order to um, get through the next season uh, really well and in a healthy place with him and his family. We'll keep you updated along the way with as much clarity as possible, so even though we don't know really the end time right now, uh, we're going to, you're our family, you know, you're our church, and so we're going to keep you up to date as much as we can. Um, And how can you help, which is such a a kind question, thank you for asking. Um, (laughs) You can help by... Firstly, for praying for his family. That's that's really what they need in this season because they're so well-supported. Um, we would love for you to pray for them. But um, as we all know, if you've ever been through a moment in your life where something like this happens or you know, you know, even just having a baby or like I had a friend whose dog died and I sent her food, uh, we all need food in seasons like this. Uh, so if you would like to um, help with that, we're not gonna start a meal train right now, um, but what we are gonna do is if you want to, if you can help in that way, You can um, buy gift cards to like um, grocery stores and uh, like Farm Burger and places like that. And if you want to give those, uh, we'd be happy to take those to him and his family. And I know that would help a lot during this time. So those are the ways uh, that you can help. If you want to contact him, you're welcome to do so. You can feel free to email him. I wouldn't expect a message back, at least not initially, but Matthew is um, such a people person and loves you all so much. I bet you probably will hear a response at some point, um, even if it's not right away. So um, he would probably love to hear your prayers and encouragement for him and his family. So you can send those to his email. And I also just want to say that... um, The Lord is just so kind to us, to our church and our staff in this season. The way that God has, I think, been preparing us for this moment, to be able to lead and be present um, in the midst of a season like this, has just, is so apparent to us and we're so Uh, overwhelmed and and grateful to God for that. We um, have been functioning kind of with not enough staff for a while. And in just the last few months, um, in one person just in the last week, we have the staff we need to get through a season like this. And and we couldn't have picked better people. The Lord just knew what we needed for this season. Not only that, but we have a vestry. We have a governing board. Nobody wants to be put in a position where like all of a sudden, you know, the three of us are figuring out what to do for this church on our own. We have a vestry who can help us make wise decisions. Decisions for our church. It's why we have um, governing bodies and churches to make really good, healthy, wise decisions for the church. And lastly, and just more on a personal note, all of us, I think all of us on staff, have very recently been able to go away, um, been able to go on vacation or on like a spiritual retreat of some kind, including Matthew, um, and take some restful time, and we're all back now, and I think we feel, um, our hearts feel ready to live through this season and to be um, to be here for you all and for, for Matthew and his family, and so for all of those reasons, I just think the Lord is so, so kind, like it just feels like God is showing off, honestly, um, for how well he's taken taking care of this church and this staff. So things may look different for a little while. You're going to be seeing a lot of me, whether you love that or not. Um, and we're going to have some, maybe some more staff present on Sunday mornings than we usually do. Our new youth pastor, John Michael, will be here as staff support. Did someone just Whoop. <laughs> love that. Um, he'll be here as staff support, so we'll be seeing lots more of him, which I'm thrilled about because he's wonderful, and um, churches don't see youth pastors enough, I think. Um, so I would love for you to to get to know him. But just know that we're here for you, and we, we love you so much, and we feel really supported um, in this season. And all this kind of stuff really causes um anxiety in some of us and you may be feeling this like what's the next thing that's going to go wrong you know (laughs) what's the next what's the other shoe are there any more shoes like that's kind of how this season feels it's like we get news like this all the time um and so i want you to know that we're as staff we want to talk to you about that if that's causing anxiety in you and we're here for you. We want to pray for you. So myself, um, Beth Campbell, Micah Dalton, we're all here. with a the leadership team. We want to talk to you if you want to schedule meetings with us. We'll also be standing up here at the front at the end of the service if you want to talk or pray or anything. So uh, we're here for you. And we love you. And um, we're going to get through this. And we're um, we're going to pray for Matthew and his family. So if you would, would you stand? And I remember reading a long time ago um, a book on prayer. And um, one of the suggestions was for when you're praying for someone when you don't know the details, which, spoiler alert, is every time you pray for anyone. to lift their face before God, because Jesus is the one who is constantly interceding for us, so you don't have to say the right thing or do the right thing in your prayers. What we're doing when we pray for someone is just lifting their face before God. So if you want to do that in this moment, if you don't feel like you have words, then that's okay. That's not just okay, but really, really good, maybe the best place that we could be. So I'm going to give us a few moments of silence to, to pray for Matthew and his family, um, and then I'll, I'll pray for us, and then I'll read our, our sermon text for today. God, I am so grateful for your presence with us here this morning. The same spirit that is here is um, hovering over Matthew's home, his family. We put his face and the faces of his family members before you and ask you to be with them. Be present. Be tangible, Lord. Would you bring healing, Jesus? Would your spirit be tangible in their lives, Lord? The Bible calls Jesus a man of sorrows. In the Apostles' Creed, we say that he descended to the dead. There is no dark place that we can go in our lives that you are not already there, Lord. That is what you accomplished for us. So we go to to sad or dark or confusing or uncertain places, Lord. What we find is you, Lord, let us see your face. Let us know you in this moment. Let us be the church. Give us your spirit, Lord, to be exactly who we are created to be, one body. Together to love and support one another and especially one of our brothers. Thank you, God, for your spirit that empowers us to do this and to believe and to move forward, to be Christ to one another. What a gift that is. We bless you, Jesus, and we give all of these things to you when we trust you. We say we believe you, we trust you, we love you. It's in your name we pray, amen. Before you're seated, we're going to do what lots of other Anglicans do and stand for the gospel reading since we're already standing. Amen. Thank you for doing that with us. Our reading this morning comes from John chapter 6. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate and they died, but the one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, these are just the crowds, not necessarily the 12, but also includes the 12, they said, This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware of that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but among you there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who were the ones that did not believe, and who was the one that would betray him. And he said, for this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered, to, answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. One more second. It's <laughs> a lot of standing, I know. God, we thank you for this text. We thank you for the words of Jesus. Jesus, would you be as present with us as flesh and blood this morning? Would you teach us to see you as you wish to be seen? Would these words not offend us, Lord, but move us deeper into fellowship with you, into discipleship with you? We thank you that you are not afraid of saying hard things to us. We receive them, Lord. Help us be open to you this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now you may be seated. As if you've been with us, we've been teaching in Ephesians um, and decided to jump to uh, skip that last day and jump to the uh, the Gospels for today because it felt like a good and right thing to do. And um, I don't really get to preach from John that often, so I'm very excited to preach in this text. I think it's helpful to kind of put it into context where we are, because obviously Jesus says some pretty shocking things here um, right away, and um, and it kind of feels like it comes out of nowhere if you haven't been teaching through this chapter in the lectionary, which we have not. So to put it in context for you. Jesus has been doing his Jesus thing. He's been doing his ministry. He's been bringing the kingdom to earth. He's been performing a lot of miracles and doing a lot of wonderful things. So Jesus has been doing all of these things. He, um, he just recently did the feeding of the 5,000, and then he walked on water to the boat where the disciples were, and then they crossed the sea and then landed, and that's where we are now. That's where this conversation has begun with these people. So the funny thing that's happening here is that these people who have found him are considering discipleship with him or maybe are already following him around, and that's why they end up there where Jesus is, say, would you show us a sign, for example, Jesus, like manna, like when, the, when God fed our ancestors in the wilderness, which is hilarious because what's the last thing Jesus has done for them in a miracle? Fed the 5,000, like an exact copy of what happened uh, with man in the wilderness. So it's, it's fun, it ought to be funny, right, that we, we, they ask for that exact miracle which Jesus has just done. And Jesus um, is so kind, and um, to them he, he says, well, that was um, a different kind of bread than I am here to give you. That bread was given to people in the wilderness, and they ate it, and they eventually died. Um, but God has some bread to give you. That will make you live and not die. And they say, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus responds to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And that's when he goes on to say the crazy things, like we read this morning, such as, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood and abides in me will live. This text, as you can imagine, has been used to um, make a lot of theological arguments, in particular for things like the Eucharist, communion. Um, The hard thing for us, not just today, but back then, for all of time, is not just the theological aspects of this text, but the starkness of it, the shock of what sounds like cannibalism, right? Like this person that you trust and believe in and you're following around and you feel like has the thing that is going to give you purpose, give you life, and then all of a sudden he says, and you have to eat my flesh as shocking as that feels to us now was, I'm, I'm positive, more shocking, you know, not coming from a preacher's mouth, but coming from the mouth of Jesus himself. In the same way, that you and I explain lofty concepts to children in developmentally appropriate ways throughout their childhood, right? I believe that's what Jesus is doing with his disciples here. What he has done throughout this time is he's been saying things about himself and then showing that those things are real through miracles. So he teaches and then he performs a miracle and he's teaching and then showing the disciples who he is, what he's here to do. And then the feeding of the 5,000 happens and then this, this teaching comes. And what he's done is he's seen that the disciples are now ready to be taken into a deeper place of knowing him. Um, they're ready for more in terms of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And sometimes that means hard things, hard conversations, or even words like this that kind of like shock us into the place of where we need to go next. So Jesus moves his, dis- his disciples into this next deeper moment of their understanding of discipleship. And the one word I want to focus on here that I think is helpful, is he uses the word flesh. So a lot of times when when we're reading something or talking about um, Jesus, what he has done for us, when we're talking about communion, we say the communion liturgy, we don't say the word flesh. What word do we say? Body, right? Um, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Y'all could probably quote that whole thing back to me at this point if you've been here for a while. Um, this word body is used, and it's so much more gentle, isn't it, um, than the word flesh. And yet Jesus uses the word flesh here, and it's meant to like shock us and also make us question why he is using this word and maybe hearken us back to other moments where this word is used. For example, um, the Bible uses flesh. For altogether, utterly human experiences, such as sexual union, two becoming one flesh, flesh, right? Two becoming one flesh. Or a sort of moral failure that is only a human thing. Um, For example, the Bible says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh is used for things that are utterly us, you know, utterly human, um, things that God could never experience because God does not have flesh, right? So what is Jesus saying in this moment? He's reminding us that he is one of us. That flesh here is a reminder that God sent his son into our flesh and blood existence in order to save us. He becomes one of us in order to give himself to us. Jesus' words Eat my flesh and drink my blood are not just meant to be a shock to us, to our senses, but also to our souls. A waking back up of what it means for you and I to be Christians. To allow ourselves to be shocked by how present he actually is in ordinary things. To be shocked by the incarnation itself. To be shocked by God with us. Anthony Bloom, who is a a priest and a monk, and I think also a surgeon, he really did it all in his life, um, wrote a beautiful uh, book on prayer called Beginning to Pray, um, which is a nice uh, title for anyone um, at any stage in their life. And so he wrote this book. I read it recently, and one of the things he says is, in every moment, I am either offering Christ to the world or I am receiving Christ from the world. In every moment, I am offering Christ to someone Or someone is offering Christ to me. Which ought to change the way we view how we live our lives. What our presence is in the world. How we experience every single moment. That Jesus is in every one. He's in every moment. He's in every person. In every experience that you and I share. There is a moment where either I discern whether I am giving Christ to the world. Or whether I am receiving Christ from the world. That's how present he is. We, I think, make... Jesus, a smaller version of himself, if we wait for moments of prayer, you know, like the the 30 minutes I carve out in my morning time before my kid gets up. And I'm like, this is my 30 minutes of experiencing Jesus. I can't wait for God to show up and it just to be so great. And then I'll live the rest of my day and I'll just live from these 30 minutes to these 30 minutes of Jesus and me and our prayer time together. And what Jesus is saying is, like, I'm so much more here than that. I'm so much more present than that. I'm so here in your own flesh and blood and the flesh and blood of people around you because i had flesh and blood i'm meant to be in everything and coming to you at all times and if not coming to you then using you to come to someone or something in every experience he's there in every place he's there in every person he's there his presence is that real and that vital all the time There is never a time at which he is not present and there is never a time at which he is not relevant or what this exact moment is about. Every moment points to him. And to all of this, we have this strange kind of ending to this text, an already strange text, where these crowds say, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? Which is a really good question. And many of them leave, the text tells us. This is the breaking point for many people who were followers of Jesus, who were following him around, listening to his teaching and seeing his miracles, being a part of what he was doing. And again, this offense is not just taken at this visceral comment, but on the eating, on the eating of his flesh and drinking of his blood, but that salvation was to be found in him. The gospel Jesus was spreading, the good news, this new teaching from a new rabbi, all of these exciting things that like, would sometimes happen in this culture, this sort of new way of viewing the world. Um, Jesus reveals in this moment that it's not just a theological concept, it's not just a new way to read the Old Testament and how to live it out in your life, but that the good news actually is a person. And the offensive thing was that the, the person was Jesus. How shocking it was that he said, if you want life, if you want what I'm talking about, what I'm showing you, what I'm doing, then you want me. Then you want myself, and you need myself, and you must have myself or else this will not work. And the thing that's offensive about that is that the gospel isn't about our benefits or our best selves or our success or our happiness or our Sunday morning therapy or motivation, right? It's about a person. It's about one person, and it's not me, and it's not you. (laughs) It's Jesus. And this is what is offensive to us, and not Christianity in general or the gospel story on the surface. We wouldn't be here if we were deeply offended by the Christian story. And most of us, there's very little that's actually offensive about it, us about it, because it's the water that we swim in, it's our, it's our culture. Even if we're not raised Christian, we know the story for the most part. The thing that's offensive was when when we reach those moments, when we reach moments of hardship or offense or reading something in the text that we don't understand or whatever the thing may be, kind of a dark night of the soul, and we realize, like, I realize my life is about someone else and not about me. And that really irks me, you know. That's the choice we have in those moments. Either I move down the line of my life being about someone else or I turn it and make it about myself. As John the Baptist says, he must increase. I must decrease. My life, as it turns out, isn't about me at all. It's about Jesus. It's about him. So because of this, many of Jesus' followers leave. I'm sure some of them can't get over being grossed out, which is valid, Um, but also others can't get over the audacity of such a claim, such a teaching. So Jesus turns to his Disciples, the twelve, the ones who are closest to him, and he says, A vulnerable question. Do you also wish to go away? And Peter answers him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Which is not just a proclamation of Jesus as the Messiah, but a real cry of desperation in Peter. Like, Jesus, I could leave and it would be easy to leave. But in no other thing and no other person have I found what my soul is looking for. No other thing has given me as many answers as you. Nothing makes me see the world or feel the way that you do. Nothing equals what you have to give me, and so where else could I go? Annie Dillard talks about a, a moment in her spiritual life it was profound, and she says, it was like I had been my whole life a bell, and I didn't know it until I was lifted and struck. It's like Peter saying, like, I know I'm a bell now, and you're the one, only one who can lift me and strike me. Where else would I go? This rock bottom place of desperation is, I think, the absolute best place you can be as a human being, um, which is a bold statement. But that feeling offended, that confusion, the darkness, questioning everything, when you feel like you've lost everything and all that remains is Jesus, is a really good place to be um, because Jesus is there. There's no better, more hopeful place to be, I believe. It's when we can begin to sense Him, when we've lost everything. Anthony Bloom also says in this book on prayer, he says it's like our soul has tentacles, and they're all over these things outside of us. And once we begin to lose those tentacles on things, we start to actually experience Jesus. When we lose all of our attachments to those outside things, when we when we enter the dark places or places where we feel God is asking us to give things up, it's where we really begin to experience the presence of Jesus, and that's. One of the reasons communion is so powerful, and that's what this text leads us to in the end anyways, especially, I think, for this season, the way that we do communion, the way that many Anglican churches do communion is so beautiful, where when we come forward these days, we put our hands out like this, and they're empty, right? Um, Put our hands out to the communion servers, and then they place the wafer and that's already been dipped in the wine in our hands, and it's just like this messy situation, right? Um, And yet this is meant to be this beautiful symbolic moment of what it means to be a Christian, that we come forward to Jesus with nothing. We have nothing to give him. Um, We have nothing to hold on to. And what does he do? But he places himself, his flesh, and his blood in our hands so that we can take him... Even in nothing, then we have everything placed into our hands and we can hold him close. If you feel like you don't know where Jesus is or you don't experience him or feel him throughout the rest of your week, you can know when you come to church and you come forward and you take the wafer and the juice into your hand that he's there, that he's right there. You can feel him. You can eat him. What a more beautiful experience of what it's like to to be a Christian, to be a human in communion with God. That's why we call it that, communion. He's meant to be that real to us, and it's out of that place of having nothing and receiving him that we're meant to live out our lives and remember that he's with us, he's on us, he's in us, and there's no place we can go from his presence. We're meant to experience his presence in that real of a way. good to read poetry from time to time, good devotional uh, activity. So I'm going to read you all a poem. It's by George Herbert. It's called Love Bade Me Welcome, and it's about communion. It's about what we uh, just uh, took part in. It's about an encounter with Jesus where Jesus beckons the man into relationship with him. Uh, The man knows he's not worthy, so Jesus invites him to eat with him. And this is the poem. Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. I, the unkind, ungrateful, So go out into the world this week and be the presence of Jesus to someone and know that you are also being ministered to by him through your experiences, through others, through the very moment that you're in. He's always there. He's always coming to you. There's no place you can go where you can flee from him. Thanks be to God. Mm -hmm. Amen. Um, So go in peace. We love you all very much. We'll be up here to talk if you'd like to to talk or pray. Uh, And we'll see you next week. God bless. Hello, friends. This is Matthew, the lead pastor at Emanuel Anglican Church in East Atlanta. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We are disciples of Jesus who are seeking his kingdom and the flourishing of our neighbors. And if you want to find out more about Emmanuel and what's going on, just hop over to our website. The address is emmanuel that's with an I, emmanuelatlorg Thanks so much. God bless you. Grace and peace.